You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Thursday, which means a football game. Or, as our very own Mina Kimes described tonight's matchup, a uniquely depressing horse race. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, the Colts and Broncos. Who's going to win? Who's going to be made into glue? It's coming up tonight on Amazon Prime. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Fitz, whenever we downplay the quality of an upcoming Thursday night game, they tend to be pretty wild and wacky and ultimately come down to the wire. Yeah, uh, look, I know a lot of people think this one's going to be bad, but I don't know. These are two teams that have a lot on the line, that, that neither team is in a position where they can really afford a loss, and both teams came in with a lot of talent and a lot of expectations. I mean, at this point, I know it's a short week, and that often means ugly football, but in a world where every single game seems to be coming down to the wire, I feel like this is going to be a really good football, a really close football game, let me say it that way. Uh, it might be ugly, but with as much th- as there is to lose for both these teams, they're going to come out with the thunder of the gods. They'll be firing this one. Yeah, the Colts' only uh, positive moment this season was a shocking defeat of the otherwise impenetrable-seeming Chiefs. The Broncos have had a season's worth of drama through the first four games due to Russell Wilson not yet living up to expectations post-trade, and of course Nathaniel Hackett fumbling his way through his initial efforts as a head coach. Mina Kimes, as I mentioned, was on Around the Horn talking about this game and and discussed which team she sees maybe a little bit more of a glimmer of hope from. The Colts obviously need one more because we need to win more rather because of their record. But as far as who wins this uniquely depressing horse race, uh, I'm going to go with Denver (laughs) Um, because while both of these quarterbacks have struggled in their new homes, at least the Broncos offense has shown glimmers of being explosive. Whereas when you watch the Colts, something appears to be fundamentally broken. And what that is, Tony, shockingly, is their offensive line, which has long been a strength of this team. But they rank 26th in ESPN's pass block win rate metric. And get this, last in the NFL in yards before contact per carry. Even when Jonathan Taylor was playing, he never had a chance. I don't see them getting right against a Denver defense that has held up its end of the bargain. Yeah, Fitz, it's not just that they'll be without their leading rusher. It's that their leading rusher struggled because of the offensive line. So just imagining that the back ends will pick up the slack there, uh, they're going to be dealing with the same issues. And one thing she mentioned there is that those those running backs do not have any time to even get running downhill and make any space for themselves because of the line's failures. I'm not sure what translates from week to week in the NFL, but it was just a few days ago. I was in Vegas at Allegiant Stadium. And watch what I think is the worst offensive line across the the board in the NFL from left to right all the way in the Raiders run the football incredibly effectively. That's the only thing that is in my head because all of the metrics do say that the Colts are not running the ball well and that even with Jonathan Taylor, it's been a struggle. But I watched a, a Broncos team just absolutely get manhandled by a Raiders offensive line that at its best is just meh. There's more talent on this Colts offensive line than the Raiders have, certainly. So I, I think there's a glimmer of hope, uh, you know, to come in and say, hey, the Raiders had a real plan of establishing dominance, and what you ended up with was a career high from Josh Jacobs. So I, I think that what we just saw a couple of days ago at least opens a path for for hope for Colts fans. I don't think they're going to abandon the run as much as everybody does. I think they're going to try and do what the Raiders did, trying to run the ball up the gut, and we'll see if they can make that happen. But that's going to be the ultimate test because I just don't know right now that you can put the ball in Matt Ryan's hands and just presume that the Colts can win this football game. 
Yeah, the run game's going to be a huge part of this. Broncos are favored by three tonight. And to your point, uh, for all the struggles that the run game uh, for the Colts have had, they've been good at stopping opposing teams' runs. They've allowed the sixth fewest rushing yards per game. Um, they will make it really difficult for the Broncos to, to, to try to use the ground game to establish and set up the pass. And what we know about this Broncos team is we all have hope that they will get better because we assume a lot of this is growing pains for a first-time head coach and a new quarterback. Denver's 15th in DVOA, uh, and this is a team that I think does have some reason to believe in them, whereas the Colts, I'm trying to figure out um, – I don't think the upside's there for Matt Ryan. I don't think the upside's there for um, for the even, even the run game that's been good in the past. So um, the run game and how much the Colts are able to get those stops and make it be – uh, all about Russ and those weapons that he's still getting used to, that I think is their only shot. I, I think this is also, frankly, a defensive game through and through, and I, I don't think that's a big hot take from, uh, when you think about how good the Broncos' defense has been. But I also keep thinking about what we saw from the Colts two weeks ago uh, against the Chiefs, where they were really up for that matchup, and they, they did well handling the Chiefs' wide receivers better than I ever would have expected in that matchup. And I just come come off of watching Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy both at times struggle to get open against the Raiders. Again, not a great secondary either. So I wonder what the passing game is going to look like for Denver because Dem Denver without Javante Williams is going to have to be able to throw the football. And you would think that they can throw the football. But the, the, the hardest part about the Colts to me is that we've seen these little glimmers. They haven't put it together in a game, but we've seen glimmers where you're like, okay, they're going to be just fine. And then they find a way to really? not be just fine. Mm. I, I think... I mean, Other than that Chiefs game, I've not seen a lot from the Colts that have me thinking they'll be just fine. Well, I mean, the first half was an abomination against the Titans, but in the second half, they played really well. I mean, they they, they held the Titans. They, they dug themselves a hole and managed to get their way back into that football game. And to the point you made earlier, Derrick Henry, who I, I think much more highly of than anybody Denver's going to put in the, in the backfield here, uh, didn't feast for four quarters the way I thought he could against the Colts' defense either. So, like, in that sense, I feel like the, the Colts have at least given us some reason to see. I see more of a pass than everybody else. Everybody today has been really down on the Colts. I think it's way too early to, to dig that grave for them. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Speaking of digging graves, people were ready to do so after the very first game of the season for new Broncos head coach Nathaniel Hackett. But Mike Tannenbaum was on Get Up today talking about those, uh, those growing pains for the new guy. Nathaniel Hackett has never been a play caller in the NFL. There are massive growing pains when you're the head coach, the play caller, and trying to manage the game. And we saw that. Now, to his credit, they hired Jerry Rosberg to help with that. But when you look at the job that guys like Mike McDaniel, Kevin O'Connell, Brian Dable have done, they were clearly ready for their opportunities. Nathaniel Hackett clearly wasn't. So he's trying to learn on the fly. That's a really hard job to do that. And just... Not even the decisions, the way it looks, getting out of the huddle, the cadence, getting up to the line of scrimmage, trying to run motions. Every ball is being snapped at zero, one second on the play, cart, play clock. It's really hard to be excellent when the whole operation just isn't functioning well. I agree with that, and I also think right now there's a lot of parity in the middle of the league, and there's not that much frustration from the fans there because they maybe expect a little bit of growing pains and because, you know, uh, it's early. But if they get behind, things start to look bad, and he's fumbling around and just visually and optically looks like a guy who doesn't have his bleep together, that's when the, the you know, vultures start to circle. Yeah, and, and that's such a huge part of expectations create so much of the way we view some of this. And, and I don't know uh, how much we can rely on immediacy. I said this last week. 
when you think about the fact that we had no preseason for most of these teams and most of these starters and across the board, we've seen sloppy football throughout the first month. I just wonder how much everybody needs to relax a little bit, have a little bit of patience, and then understand what the, the, that this is going to look much different in week eight than it does right now. And that's not just for the Broncos. I think that's for a lot of teams that are struggling to figure out with new offenses, new coordinators, new quarterbacks, how everybody meshes together. We just want that to be immediate. I don't know that that's real anymore. Well, even if it isn't, we're still going to talk about it later in the show when we play a little trick-or-treat and we decide whether teams are going to mesh and get better or are destined to turn sour. You could be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Tweet us at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. ESPN Nation's presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Coming up, week five of the NFL is upon us. We'll fill you in on some of the biggest matchups. It's coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The NFL will help you all weekend long. Well, really only on Sunday. Football will help you all weekend long. But still, it's going to be a wild weekend. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Jason Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz. That's how you get in on the fun. And when we start talking about fun, it is start talking about time to start talking about a wild (laughs) slate of Sunday games, Sarah, that I am beyond pumped about. (laughs) Let's go through some of them. And we start with one in Baltimore. Sunday night football. We all know the drill, 8.20 p.m. Eastern on NBC. Baltimore favored by three. This, Sarah, feels like such a huge prove-it game because, frankly, we had huge expectations for the Bengals offensively coming into the year, and we just presumed that no matter what the Ravens do, they're always going to play good defense. So far, the Bengals' offense the first couple of weeks, especially their offensive line, struggled, played a little better the last few weeks, but the Ravens' defense has been hot garbage for most Mm -hmm. of the season. So now we get this match of what's supposed to be strength on weakness and really a prove-it game for both sides. Yeah, you mentioned that defense. You look at just statistics across the top and you say, well, the Ravens actually, look, they're leading the league in takeaways. They've got 10 takeaways. They got four of those in the fourth quarter. They're coming up big down the stretch. And then you look closer and you see that all of those takeaways are in the wins versus the lowly Jets and Patriots. None of them in the losses to the Dolphins and Bills. This is a team that has not been able to get consistent pressure. Their numbers on the sacks pressures, blitzes are not very good. You look at a team in the Bengals that's going to particularly enjoy not being rushed uh, and I could see Burrow going off. And we saw that last year too. I know these are very different teams, but um, there were uh, some pretty big beatdowns. Bengals 41 to 17. 41 to 21. Burrow had 525 yards. Now, the injuries to the Ravens last year were a huge part of the story they were telling, and the Bengals are still trying to live up to last year. But I still think that this is somehow a Bengals team that that has an opportunity to prove themselves against a Ravens team that I, I believe in still this year, despite some of the setbacks. Yeah, I mean, when you have Lamar Jackson and Harbaugh, I just want to believe that all of it gets right and the Ravens turn out to have a great year. Uh, you know, I've been high on them since we started the season. But ultimately, this all is always going to – the Bengals are going to live and die by Joe Burrow. Whatever mm-hmm. Joe Burrow can can accomplish is going to be sort of the metric they're judged by. I, I, it's hard for me right now to see with the, with the deficiencies, and I keep thinking about especially the fourth quarter the way Tua played against the Ravens. It just sort of showed a, a little crack in the army, armor, and it's hard for me not to see – the Bengals being able to take advantage of that. This defense, well, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say to your point, I was listening to Bill Barnwell, our buddy on ESPN Daily today, and he talked about how they used to be able to depend on Lamar and the offense holding 
onto a lead because he's so dominant. Despite his dominance this year, they haven't been able to do that. They had a 20-game streak of a 17-plus point lead or more, 20-0 and 0 in those games. And this year, they've got two games where they've had 17-point leads and lost both. Mm. So this is a team that has not been able to hang on to a lead and, and keep the offense out there. And then offensively, you know, one of those scores against the Bills came on a super short field post-INT, and other than that, they weren't really able to produce much. They've asked Lamar to do everything. He's 80% of their net yards of offense so far this season. And when you play against better teams, and particularly if your defense has gotten run all over the place, that's not going to be good enough. All right, let's go to another game we got our eye on. Middle of the afternoon, 425 Eastern on Fox. Rams favored by five and a half. That's a big number mm. considering the fact the Cowboys are three and one, the Rams are two and two. And at some point, I just don't want to hear about Cooper Rush being this deficiency, you know, because uh, it, we can't have it both ways. We can't sit here and say, yeah, but the Cowboys have their backup quarterback. When we're spending, it feels like every waking breath is a network covering <laughs> Cooper Rush playing better than people had expected. So there have been moments that the Rams have looked bad and I thought the Rams frankly looked bad against the 49ers but mm -hmm. in a in a weirdly week-to-week -week NFL league I mean uh, this this one becomes tough to predict because I can't believe the Rams are as bad as they looked just a few days ago yeah the Rams do not look good and the Cowboys look a lot better than we thought, not even counting with Dak being injured. Just thought that they would be when the season began. You look at this matchup and you think defense and you think you're going to be pointing to the Rams side of things with Jalen Ramsey, with Aaron Donald, with Bobby Wagner. And instead, you're looking across the field to a Cowboys team that leads the league in pressures through the first four weeks of the season, that's tied for second in the league with 15 sacks, that has yet to allow more than 20 points in each game during those first four weeks. This is a, a, a defense for this Cowboys team that has made it so that Cooper Rush could lead an offense to victory, that has made things deeply uncomfortable for opposing quarterbacks and offenses. And I admit, and uh, I will say that I was among many who coming into the season just didn't expect the defense to come together as much as it has already and be able to make this team three and one yeah i found myself looking at the stat sheet and when you saw i was like all right total defense seventh scoring defense third sacks second i'm talking about the cowboys not the rams and it just felt weird i mean th mm -hmm. there is a, a level of expectation of what we think the star power and the greatness of the rams can be and instead right now they're a middle of the pack uh, they're a middle of the pack defense with a middle-of-the-pack offense that's playing like a middle-of-the-pack team. So that yeah. that that feels weird to have a five-and-a-half-point spread at home on that one. That means Vegas knows something the rest of us don't. Yeah. Uh, let's get to another game we got our eye on. This one, you got the battle of the two-and-twos. But every time we have a conversation about these two teams, there's a yeah, but on it. For the Chargers, the yeah, but is, oh, my God, yeah, but they are so talented. There is no way the Chargers can't put it together, although that's what the Chargers always do. They always seem to be marred by injuries. The other side of it for the Browns is, yeah, but you're basically surviving until you get your quarterback and Deshaun Watson to come back to play. Now, that's a separate conversation, but when you start talking about the Browns and being able to sort of tread water, they've at least accomplished that. This feels like a very important game for the Chargers who are still trying to figure out how to get through the number of injuries they have. Yeah, I think this is an interesting one because it used to be the storyline, and I think we've gotten back past it now, that it's going to be Phillip Rivers down a touchdown with a minute on the clock. Like, every Chargers game was going to end with a 
you know, race to the finish and they were going to somehow things were going to go wrong. And now it's about a Chargers team that still has the injuries that have plagued them for years and that always seem to get in the way of the success we anticipate for them, but that are probably very well suited to put away this Browns team and stay up because we've seen Justin Herbert. He's passing for an NFL leading 1,250 yards so far, and you've got a Browns backfield that has really struggled in fourth quarters, that has been unable to hold on. This is um, a recipe for disaster, I think, for the Browns. Uh, they're, they're just inability to hang on, and then you look at a guy in in Justin Herbert who can dice you up if things start to start to go wrong. They're giving up a, a league worst 12 and a half points in the fourth quarter alone. So uh, the Chargers are never going to be out of this, even if injuries get in the way, even if they struggle. Um, this is a Chargers win for me. I, I hate the phrase styles make fights, but it feels appropriate here only because when you look at the Chargers, they have the top-ranked passing offense in the NFL and the worst rushing offense, mm-hmm. one in 32. When you look at the other side, Cleveland has the second-ranked rushing offense and the 25th-ranked passing <laughs> offense. It tells you that these are two teams that are going to approach this football game from very different standpoints. And when you've got a team like Cleveland that is going to rely on trying to run the football, and that's the really the basis of how they're going to win this game, the problem is you can't dig yourself out of a hole in that yep. process. And yep. I, I'm not comfortable looking at the Browns saying that they can hold on to the ball enough against, I think, a pretty good Chargers defense to be able to control the clock and be able to control down and distance. I think you're right. I think the Chargers win this football game. And frankly, they need to win this football game because, again, at 2-2 two and two with the expectations that we're mm-hmm. facing Herbert and, and the Chargers overall, uh, that's going to be a wild one. Don't forget, tune in to College Football Action Saturday. LSU hosts Tennessee, presented by Dr. Pepper. Coverage begins at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. That's going to be a big game for Tennessee, who's got to not look ahead to Alabama that they got in a couple of weeks. It is a wild time across the landscape of college football. Those are just some of the NFL games that we've got our eye on later in the show. We will get you our picks for the Radio Pick Challenge. As always, we'd like to keep you updated on what we're expecting across uh, across the Sunday of action. So far, we're in second place. I'm just saying we're only a game out, so there's plenty of uh, plenty of landscape or plenty of l- runway left for us to make up room. <laughs> we need to get uh, to get some context surrounding all things NFL, and when we do that, we turn to one thing: shot, shot, shots. Next, Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It might seem a little early, but it is Friday Eve. And we don't have a show tomorrow, so if Fitz and I hit the shots early, you'll have to forgive us. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career you'll love with flexibility, great pay and benefits, and one of the country's top workplaces? Come join their growing team. Go to Progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. Joining us now from Football Outsiders, Aaron Schatz. We've got what I believe Mina Kimes called a depressing horse race or something of that nature tonight in the Colts and Broncos. Um, do you have hope for either team um, and why? Yeah, I think I have a little bit more hope for the Broncos than I do for the Colts this year. Um, so far, the Broncos have been an average team by our numbers, whereas the Colts have been the worst team in the league through four mm. games. So Denver at least is playing really good defense. I'm, you know, not as much against the Raiders, but the first three games they had a really strong defense, and I know they're going to miss Randy Gregory now that he's on IR, but, you know, Pat Sertain 
has really come out as maybe like the best cornerback in the league. He's really blossomed in his second year. I mean, he was good last year, but he's really blossomed this year. And they've got Chubb and they've got uh, DJ Jones up front to stop the run. They've got at least defense and the hope that Russell Wilson will put it together, whereas the Colts have less defense and I think less hope because Matt Ryan is older. Real quick, what were your projections uh, per your computer models coming into the season for these two teams? How far off or on are they? We had the Broncos as like a playoff, like a wild card team. And we had the Colts. We had the whole AFC South below 500. Basically, mm. in our projections, the average season for the every team in the AFC South was below 500. So we were lower than conventional wisdom on the Colts. They've been even worse than we projected. But we were not among the people who thought the Colts were going to be really good. We're talking to Aaron Schatz, uh, Football Outsiders. Uh, Aaron, I'm going to break down the fourth wall for everybody for a second here. Uh, there's an article that goes up on Chalk every week on Thursdays that we both write on. That's a panel of discussion. And every time, you know, there's like a Google Doc, right? I can see what you've already written. And every time I end up questioning myself. This week, no different because I came in really confident with the concept that the Raiders ran the ball effectively against Denver. And I was surprised by that. If they ran the ball effectively, why can't the Colts run the ball effectively? So even though we disagree on the game and the outcome of this one, do you see, was there a path for what the Raiders did to the Broncos that gives Colts fans some sort of hope that they'll be able to run the ball also? Well, the problem is that the Colts running game this year has been the worst in the league by our numbers. And that's a shock because of Jonathan Taylor and because the quality of their offensive line in years past. But now there is no Jonathan Taylor. He won't play tonight. And their offensive line has not played as well as years past. Quinn Nelson is not, you know, pushing guys around like he usually does. There's a real hole at left tackle where Matt Pryor probably needs to give way to rookie Bernard Raymond. They're just, they're not getting the push up front and they're not getting the great runs. And tonight they've got two kind of smaller, shiftier runners with Hines and Lindsay who are going to be trying to run up the middle right at DJ Jones, who, by the way, leads all defensive tackles in ESPN's uh, run stop win rate. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen this, this week. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. You can follow him at F-O underscore A Schatz. Speaking of rushing units that aren't getting the job done, uh, have you been surprised by Joe Mixon needing to take, you know, meetings and figure out what's going on for him? A little bit, because even when the Bengals offensive line had so much trouble pass protecting last year, they were at least getting some yards for Mixon. So... I do think it's a little bit of a surprise that he struggled so far. I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't put too much into the four-game sample. I think he'll be better than this. He's never been one of the best runners in the league, at least, you know, it's never been one of the best running games in the league when you combine him with that offensive line. But I think it can be better than what it's been in the first four weeks. How do we explain, using your metrics, a, a team like Kansas City that one week looks beatable against the Colts and the next week looks like golden gods against the Bucks? <laughs> There's no way. There's no way to explain it. I mean, the metrics may say this team is really inconsistent, but I can't get at the heart of why a team is so inconsistent. Look at last year's Buffalo Bills, right? Last year's Buffalo Bills were fantastic if you add all their performance together, but they were super inconsistent, like losing to Jacksonville. The Chiefs game, uh, 
Uh, by the end of the year, that Chiefs loss to the Colts is going to look like the weirdest game of the year. It's going to make no sense to anybody, and that's the NFL. I mean, there no, there's no New Mexico states in the NFL, right? Like, every game is hard, and even the worst teams are good. And this year in particular, there's more parity than usual, so even the worst teams are good. So they're, you're going to get some weird results. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders. Weird results for sure. Uh, the Packers, some interesting statistical results, but that three and one record looking pretty good, and their couple next couple games could get them to six and one, uh, and still not looking that good. What are you seeing from the Packers so far? Yeah, I mean the Packers' offense has been good, but not great. Not as good as it's been the last couple of years. I, obviously, they missed Devontae Adams, but it's not like their offense has been even average. It's been good. I mean, they're getting the running game going, that's for sure. Um, as far as the defense, you know, everyone said this was going to be the year that the Packers had a top 10 defense, and I was skeptical. And by our numbers, it's not. It's not a top 10 defense. It's been an average defense so far this year. They've been average on a per-play basis. And on a per-drive basis, it's been good because of sort of, you know, the order of how plays have gone. But I just... I feel like on a per-play basis, that's more predictive for the future, and their defense just hasn't been as good as people want it to be. So, I mean, overall, I mean, the Packers are still the best team in that division, but I agree with you. I don't think they're one of the top teams in the league. What do the metrics tell you about the Giants and what's actually real there? Yeah, they're just not – I mean, first of all, you know – where I'm coming from is that we had the Giants as the worst team in the league going into the season, and they're not bad, right? Mm. So we were wrong about that. But they're not good either. They've been kind of average on offense. They've been below average on defense and special teams. They got some close victories over bad opponents, but they're really not a great team. I don't think they're headed for the playoffs. I still think they're headed for a losing record. What I don't think is that they're headed for like a, the number one pick, which is what I thought was a possibility before the season. That is not happening now. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's a kind of what you said though about the middle of the pack being huge. The 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 line between the best and the worst being pretty pretty muddy. In fact, uh, Tom Brady seemed to speak to your projections preseason today when he talked about how it's just a lot of bad football. You sort of predicted that, right? Yeah, I mean, I didn't predict bad football. I think I predicted mediocre football. Yes, I don't know. Maybe yes. I have lower standards than Tom Brady. But I think what don't you're seeing all? is a lot of inconsistency and a lot of mediocre football. It's not that there's a lot of bad football. It's just that a lot of teams are – listen, a lot of talent in the offseason went from the best teams to teams that were not among the best teams. So mm. you're going to see the best teams come back to the pack. And some of those lower teams like Miami are going to play better because now – you know, Miami has Tyreek Hill, not Kansas City. I want to follow up on that quickly because we were just talking to someone yesterday about Jalen Hurts looking so fantastic, but understanding that a lot of that is a reflection of an incredible number of weapons. Have you seen enough from him to believe that even when he starts getting paid big bucks and they can't afford those weapons, he'll still be a top-tier quarterback? Or do you need to see more? Because right now it is dependent on that roster. That's a great question, and I, I will not say that I've, like, sort of scouted enough of Hurts to know the answer to that question, but I think we knew they were going to be better because of the weapons and adding A.J. Brown, but they've been better than the better we thought they were going to be. 
So he's definitely taken a step forward. And if you look at numbers, like his game has taken a step forward every year. Like every year in college was better than the year before. And every year in the NFL has been better than the year before. Now at a certain point, that's going to end. Like you can't improve forever. But no, it's going to take some serious analysis for Philadelphia to decide if they want to give him the big contract, because you're right. Once they give him a big contract, they can't afford to necessarily put as many good weapons around him or as many good defensive pieces. Remember, their defense has been really strong this year. Yeah. Awesome stuff, Aaron. Always appreciate the insight. Uh, Really enjoy Colts Broncos. Should be a banger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not if you like the running game. It's not a banger (laughs) if you like the running game. But there should be some, you know, maybe some fun pass play. We'll find something in there. Uh, Aaron Schatz, Football Outsiders. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Aaron. All right. You talk to you guys him, later. You can follow him at F-O underscore A Schatz. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're going to step away from football for a moment to dive into a trio of basketball stories that impact the game now and down the line. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I swear to God, we haven't even had our first regular season NBA game. And this has already turned it. The preseason has already been weirder than a season of Stranger Things. Like every single day, there is no, like, it's just endless. There's endless drama every time we turn around. And last night, I'm sitting there getting ready for SportsCenter on Snapchat. And we're, you know, trying to figure out uh, what games we're going to talk about, Sarah. And then all of a sudden, boom, whole world's talking about a fight. Not just a, not just, you know, two people yelling at each other a little bit, but an actual altercation. In uh, in practice, as the Warriors, Draymond Green and Jordan Poole went at it. And so apparently there was some trash talking that went down. Uh, the trash talking got heated and it led to punches being thrown by Draymond. And now all of a sudden Draymond, you know, he's away from the facility. We'll see. There's going to be a punishment of some sort. No one expects him to miss games. But if you're looking at the Warriors for a kumbaya post-championship run, it doesn't seem like there's a lack of fire in the belly of one Draymond Green. <laughs> there never is. Right. Right? Uh, always been sort of the the leader of the team, even as we know that Steph is uh, the, the, the man by which the team will go. Draymond is sort of the heartbeat of it. Uh, emotionally, that can work for them, and it can work very much against them when he gets ejected or when he causes issues. And we know that the KD-Draymond dynamic was uh, – was testy and now maybe add Jordan Poole to the list of guys that he isn't always going to jibe with. Um, I think we had some sound from Jay Williams. He was on KJ and Max this morning. And um, a lot of people have been suggesting that this might be what happens when there's a couple guys both looking for contracts. We got in fights all the time during preseason in college and in the pros. Like this kind of stuff happens. Stuff like this always pops off, especially when you have Draymond who was yapping all the time. Like the thing that does make it interesting though is that Draymond and Jordan Poole are up for extensions. And there is this sentiment that I feel when I listen to Draymond talk on this pod and hearing him this offseason about him not feeling like he is being appreciated, like his value is appreciated. He wants to sign that five year, $167 million extension, right? You got Jordan Poole who's up for a rookie extension. At the end of the day, the fact that both these guys are up for extension, Who feels more valued? There's tension escalating around that. Yeah, stuff's going to pop off. Uh, I I get that from Jay Will's standpoint. And by the way, Chris Haynes uh, tweeted out last night that uh, there's been buildup stemming from the teammates noticing a change in Poole's behavior Mm -hmm. throughout camp with the guard on the verge of securing a lucrative extension. And 
you know, that also speaks to if you know you're about to get that bag, like, and you feel like the team is going to give you the opportunity to step up and be more of a leader, then maybe you step up and have more of a voice in that process. That that seems to make a little bit of sense. You start to become a little more assertive, and maybe Draymond doesn't like that. But there's got to be a better way to handle it. Like, I, I, I can't be as flippant as Jay Will is about the concept of two guys, like, throwing throwing punches at each other. Like, that's just that I'm okay like with that. I'll be flipping about it because I do think it's natural. I think especially you're coming back to practice. It's been a while since you were getting after it. And to your point, Jordan Poole potentially changing his behavior. Draymond, as the guy who kind of runs the the show around there, is like, hey, let me nip this in the bud before it goes too far. I don't care how much you get paid. You're going to act a certain way or at least uh, stay within a certain uh, uh, attitude that we we will allow here. Um, I do think that Steve Kerr is uniquely uh, uh, equipped to handle this, having been punched in the face by Michael Jordan in practice. Uh, he he basically said what Jay Will did about this is going to happen. Um, of course, there will be some discipline. Draymond didn't practice with the team today and did apologize. You can't let it go unpunished, but I don't think anybody's freaking out about Draymond losing his temper. Well, I don't think anybody's surprised by it either. Uh, also, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody was surprised that LeBron James last night uh, used a moment uh, after their preseason game against the Suns to be very direct about what he wants for the future of the NBA. Uh, he had the preseason game. It was a 119-115 win by the Suns. I don't think anybody really cares about that. But uh, I will say after the game, he was asked a question about the NBA hosting exhibition games in Las Vegas. That's where the game was last night. And quickly went to the mic to say, quote, I would love to bring a team here at some point. That would be amazing. I know Adam is in Abu Dhabi right now, I believe, but he probably sees every single interview and transcript that comes through uh, comes through from NBA players. So I want the team here, Adam. Thank you. As, as like such a very direct. For, I mean, he didn't mince words on the podcast earlier, but uh, earlier this summer. But this is him standing on the court afterwards. Went on to say that Vegas has the best fans in the world with a little wink. Like he's being very clear about what he wants the NBA to do for him. Imagine being LeBron James, and even for a second, pretending like everything you say won't get back to someone or be covered or be a headline. I mean, I think he, you know, probably sees all these transcripts and or you are going to make a headline on every single basketball website within seconds of saying this. Um, Yeah, I mean, listen, team expansion likely won't happen without a new TV deal, CBA, etc. So I think Seattle, I think Vegas, I think some of the places that we've talked about are ripe for a team, it just won't happen for a while. And that would be good timing for LeBron, who's going to play for another couple years. And then if he wants to transition right into the ownership game, he certainly planted the seed now. I think that's the most interesting thing about the timing of it too, Sarah, because uh, as you alluded to, they're not allowed to play, and a player can't also be an owner. So he would have to step away. Now the timing of that could take a little bit of time, but uh, there's also a doubling down on it because – you know, it made headlines this summer when LeBron talked about wanting a team in Vegas. This felt like him doubling down like, Adam, do you hear me? Adam, I'm telling mm-hmm. you what I want. So, uh, frankly, if LeBron wants to be a part of ownership, LeBron's going to find a way to be a part of the ownership. And expansion to Vegas only makes a ton of sense. So, I- I'm excited to see where that goes. I'm also excited to see Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Victor Web- and Wembignana. I'm going to learn how to say it at some point. It's tough. <laughs> 36 points, 11 boards, 4 assists, 4 blocks today. So that is today. And it's funny because we asked the question yesterday about tanking, but Adam Silver said to David Aldridge, quote, I know that many of our NBA teams are salivating at the notion that potentially through our lottery they could get him. So they should still all compete very hard next season. 
Well, that's a fantastic concept, but at this point, he is absolutely blowing up. We led SportsCenter on Snapchat last mm-hmm. night with his highlights. Above and beyond Draymond and above and beyond actual NBA games that everybody can focus on, we led with his highlights to start this thing. He is about to become a phenomenon in the way that we rarely see. Yeah, he's a seven foot four string bean who can bring the ball up, who can spin move, fall back, step away three, who can drive to the paint. Uh, this is a guy who LeBron said isn't a unicorn. He's more like an alien, which is, you know, putting him up above and beyond all of the unicorns in the league. This is really fun. I hope it remains fun. Um uh, and and I hope he takes this all in stride because all the tanking talk, all the expectations, like it would be really rad if this turns the way that very very early returns have it have it going. I mean, it'll only take about three more days before we start a conversation of why the Knicks need him. That's what we do with oh, every single. No, I mean it's already uh, yeah. going to be. It's not going to be why they need him. It's going to be here's why. Regardless of how the draft goes, he'll demand going to the Knicks oh, yeah. because uh, Victor Wembenyama has always talked about it. The, uh, the the Mecca, the Garden, as a place he wants to go, even though he's probably never heard of it because if anybody under a certain age doesn't know what the hell the Mecca of the Garden is. The the fact that, as you mentioned, he's 7'5", his wingspan right now tracks at just over 8 feet, and doctors estimate that he still has about 3 or 4 years where he'll, he will continue to grow. No. So you think about that and uh, by the way, changes to the draft lottery system, they changed it. The worst team only has a 14% chance to get the top pick. It used to be 25%, but I don't know. I mean, even though it's still only a 14% chance, like, if you're telling me there's a chance. Uh, knowing his size and what he's going to be capable of and what he's already doing to adults when he's playing, I, this is this feels a little bit like the way everybody started to freak out about Luca a few years ago, rightfully so. I, th- I think the hype machine's only starting, Sarah. I agree. I, I, um, listen, man, I, I'm very curious to see to your point how 14% versus, I mean, it, you don't have to race to the bottom. You can just race to near the bottom and the number of teams that might decide it's worth having, uh, just within shooters range of, of that bottom spot so that they can get a high enough percentage, man, that's me wild. We're about 20 minutes away from a wild Thursday night football matchup between the Broncos and Colts. We'll get you ready for it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast.